sales. Yeah. You don't have to do the sales. I feel like you have the, the more fun job. Yeah. You get to be creative. That, that, well, that's so, what a lot of people say, isn't it? That from from marketing perspective. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 22nd of July. I hope you are well. I've had a great week and you are staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar but with this podcast I want to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from sysadmin to CMO with the help of some true rockstars, my guests and chums who I hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. You can find links to me, the guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our Street Knowledge blog, newsletter, and all our previous episodes. A very different show this week, as Jeff is away, it's all about me. So I'll share a thought from my blog, me being interviewed by Seth Goldstein on his show Entrepreneur's Enigma. But it's not all me, as normal service resumes, and we wind down the week with my chum Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash MPN to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. I'd love to know what you think of the show, but other listeners have been suggesting to me that I share more of my point of view and not just the interviews with people. So we have a show a bit like that this week. In a moment, you'll hear me being interviewed by Seth Goldstein from Entrepreneurs Enigma. But now I'd like to share a topic we've touched on a couple of times in recent conversations with Jeff in our marketing studio segment, the buyer's need of FOFU or fear of effing up. If you follow my work, you'll know I often talk about marketing creating art awareness, revenue and trust. And this fofo idea started in a blog post where I ranted against uh, businesses talking to them, talking to you like they're your friend. 
And I said vendors need to be trustworthy enough for the buyer to take the big personal risk with their budget and personal reputation, overcome their fofu fear of effing up and trust the supplier that they will do what they promised without embarrassing the buyer in front of their boss. And this fofu idea resonated on the socials and I wrote a blog post called Everybody is Fofu Fighting. And to pay credit where credit is due, this idea was sown by an interview on the marketing book podcast when the host Douglas Burdett interviewed Matt Dixon, the author of The Jolt Effect, a couple of months ago. Technically, it's not a marketing book, but a sales book. And there is a ton of goodness in this interview and, of course, in the book. And as marketers, we need to pay attention to the sales perspective, their experience, and in this book, some great research. The basic premise that I picked up from the discussion is that there is something worse than a no in a sales cycle. It's, I need to think about it. And of course, we all know that do nothing is often the biggest competitor in any deal. The instinct then is for sales to sell harder, to talk about the benefits, ensure the client understands the benefits, the potential discount they can offer, all the carrots and the sticks, sowing the fud, fear, fear, uncertainty and doubt, and of doing nothing, and of course, ensure that they are talking to the person that is able to buy. I'm paraphrasing wildly. You should listen to the episode with Matt Dixon or read The Jolt Effect. In fact, subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast. However, I do warn you that it's a bit dangerous if, like me, you have a marketing book buying problem. Anyway, back to this idea of fofu. When met with the resistance of indecision, sales are inclined to push harder. And yet, in the book, Matt found that successful salespeople understand that it's not about whether their buyer is able to buy, it's whether they are able to decide. And a big part of the buy, this buy indecision comes from the potential pain of screwing up or fofu, fear of effing up. And then it cannot be overcome by the fomu, fear of missing out on the benefits of the solution. Fofu wins, however hard the sales try to sell to them. What value is a discount to someone who fears losing their job? Do nothing could be a very attractive, safe bet. Now, I've taken a thin slice from their work and distilled it down to a potty mouth acronym. But it struck me that in our obsession with category, competitors, features, functions, benefits, and maybe a little bit of creating pain to address the do nothing, overcoming fofu isn't something we have much in our marketing planning. I'm still thinking about how we do this. I like the analogy that was used in the podcast that we need to take away the blame of making a decision. Like when you're in a restaurant faced with a difficult choice, you turn to the waiter or waitress and ask for a recommendation. It shifts some of the pain of making a choice and the fofu from you to them. And of course, if you're selling to an enterprise, you often see that this fofu risk is being mitigated by involving analysts or um, other independent consultants to help with the decision. I also think it underlines a need to focus our marketing on the customer as the hero rather than our product or service, that we create inspiration rather than browbeat them with the negative of the pain. Whatever it is, we need to recognise that decisions are tough and that everybody is fofu fighting. Everybody is And that was a little bit of Kung Fu Fighting sung by CeeLo Green from the film Kung Fu Panda in 2008, originally by Carl Douglas from 1974. 
next up on this very different show and continuing in the advice that maybe people wanted to learn a little bit more about me i thought i'd share a chat i had with seth goldstein the founder and principal creative director at goldstein media a full service digital marketing agency located just north of philadelphia in historic doylestown pennsylvania he's a lovely fella part of the marketing podcast network with this show entrepreneurs enigma I recommend that you check it out. He's had some great guests, including Mark Schaefer, Jason Falls and Guy Kawasaki, and his interviews are quite short, but really insightful. I interviewed him for this show on episode 130, and back in April, he had me on his show. And this is that interview. I really hope you like it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Entrepreneurs Enigma podcast. As always, I'm Seth, and... This guy might seem familiar to you, at least his voice, because this is an audio podcast. Mr. Chuckles himself, Ian Truscott, he interviewed me on my podcast for episode 100, so thank you, Ian, for that. Ian is across the pond, but he has been in America sometimes on some some of his journey. He's Mm. literally a globe hopper, (laughs) not globe hopper, globe trotter, but Ian is a CMO. Over at where are you CMO at now? Spotlight you, Group. You, what's that? Spotlight Group. Yeah. Spotlight Group. Yeah. But you've also done the. So you're doing the entrepreneur mm-hmm. stuff. You've done the entrepreneur stuff. You've done the fractional CMO stuff. Mm-hmm. You've done a lot of stuff. He's also <laughs> the chief bottle washer and podcast host over at Rockstar CMO, mm-hmm. which you've got to check out. It is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And just make sure you watch the volume because he does have some hard rock intros uh, uh, not intros <laughs> intros hard rock and then the in-between segments are now nah, 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 nah. <laughs> it's, it's like the british invasion all over again <laughs> he also is the tuesday blogger over at iantruscott.com mm-hmm. we'll have that link over there i just discovered that today and that is awesome i mean he's got great graphics in, and his two cents literally tuesday two cents mm-hmm. Literally is what it's called. Ian, welcome to the program. Thanks I'm glad to finally much. get you on. What oh, I almost forgot. Rockstar CMO is on the MPN network as well with me. And that's how I know Ian. And thank you, Jason, for introducing us because Ian's awesome. <laughs> Ian's just incredible. Very happy guy. And he knows so much. I should just stay quiet and let you talk, Seth. You're doing a better job than I would. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks, man. So, so, Ian, how did this whole journey get started? I mean, it's what? kind of a very broad question yeah. but i want it to be broad yeah um who is the, who is ian who am i as i say on my podcast i'm a technologist turned cmo so i actually started my career as a old school unix admin. i've been a developer i've been product manager so i've done almost every job at a software company apart from actually being a bad carrying sales guy so i've done pre-sales oh, well, that's good comes, and all that stuff so i've got um technology b2b technology in my veins really but i've also spent some time as a as a consultant as you said and freelance mm-hmm. run my own agency or little boutique agency i've worked for mccann so i've run with the Mad Men. I've, oh, wow. uh, I've also did i was an analyst for a little while i'm about 175 years old mate so and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> he really he really isn't but you know <laughs> uh, yeah and so i've been very fortunate i've had a quite a varied career but mostly the common thread is B2B marketing technology, either as a consultant and implementer or as advisor or working for the vendor. Yeah, because you also are the advisor for a bunch mm. of companies as well, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. Which kind of shows that you can do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is, it's neat because 
all these little startups might not be able to afford an Ian, yeah. but they can afford an advisor saying, Ian, we did something. Help, help, <laughs> help. So, you know, exactly. So, yeah. and so you said originally Rockstar CMO was your pandemic project, right? Yeah, the podcast really? was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so basically, Rockstar CMO started off when I was a CMO at Sendshare. So, what we wanted to okay. do was we're a German software company. Uh, oh, quite fine. staid, conservative, and we wanted to create a content marketing, you know, uh, brand and device, right? So I already own mm-hmm. the, the URL. So we, we lent into this thing. So it started as a web publication. And then oh. I, I left that organization, but I still owned Rockstar CMO. And so Keep at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. I thought, what better way than stay in touch with my network than try this podcasting thing that people like you yeah. have been doing for years? And that's how that's Yeah, I'm also 108 years old too. (laughs) You are not. (laughs) No, but I feel like I feel that sometimes with the amount of projects projects I have going on. (laughs) But so yeah, so you've literally done so much. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's kind of funny. It's like foreign country and London. Yeah. You know, London, foreign country in London, U.S. and London. It's really neat. You've like literally been all over the place, and it's cool to see someone who's kind of embraced the entrepreneur. Mm. attitude saying i could do it from the inside out and advise these companies yeah yeah which is kind of cool yeah. so like, how do how you find the advising going like how's that going i'm very fortunate in my career because i find that i find advisory and when i've done it working for agencies i find it very rewarding running workshops and helping people with your expertise and maybe being that personal trainer really for marketing teams yeah. getting them most people know what they should be doing sort of thing you could introduce some new techniques and frameworks yeah. And you're just helping them get it done. And that's really rewarding. But what's also really rewarding is actually do it, right? So yeah, I really like on. just yeah. getting on with it and doing it. So I've been fortunate in that I can do both of those things, right? So as the CMO at Spotlight yeah. Group, I can drive the marketing here at Spotlight Group, but also I still have some advisory where I'm helping other CMOs and other CEOs sort of help with their marketing and what they should be doing. That's neat that, you know, that they're letting you do that, that you're doing that. Yeah. And then this is kind of fun. I almost said that you're, you're in a different country and yeah. UK, but, you know, Spotler Group is in Rotterdam. Yeah. So I assume you've been there. Yeah. 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 So um, the Netherlands, it's a cool below sea level country. <laughs> That's true. And we own about six companies across the Netherlands. And so we're an acquisitive oh, wow. company. We're a group of marketing technology vendors. And we're only about 300 people, so we hire... Oh, you're small. You're boutique almost. Yeah, but we acquire a bunch of these companies. And, yeah. and that, that's part of my job at working at Group is to help with that and, and help... Trying to figure out what the heck you're going to do with all these, these yeah, different exactly. things. Exactly. That's, that, but that's kind of neat because being a CMO, mm-hmm. it's like the entrepreneur for the marketing. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to worry about the sales <laughs> as, as much. No, I can't say that. You have to worry about the sales yeah. a little bit, but you have to support the sales. Yeah. You don't have to do the sales. I feel like you have the, the more fun job. Yeah. You get to be creative. <laughs> well, that's so. what a lot of people say, isn't it, that from, from marketing perspective. And I suppose that's probably why when I was in pre-sales, I chose product marketing over being a sales guy, right? The, the rewards yeah. are definitely there for being a sales guy, but... Marketing was the thing that the direction I chose. So maybe yeah. you're right. You'd be good at sales, I think, too. You have the personality <laughs> for it. I'd buy it from you. <laughs> I also make the joke that I chose marketing over continuing to be a technologist because it was easy as well. So <laughs> I could look at the technology. I mean, marketing and marketing tech, mm. like, you know, is constantly changing, but not quite yeah. as fast as tech tech. 
Yeah. That's a technical term, tech tech. It's, you know, like yeah, like seriously, that you blink and it's like, wait, there's new tech. What? <laughs> oh my god! I have to learn a whole nother system here. It's, it's crazy. Well, the so yeah, the books you can see bookshelves behind me. I've got book, the top yes. two rows are the marketing and business books, and there's a bottom row that you can't see, which are all the dance books that I needed back in the day. And when you try and stay up to date with everything, yeah, yeah, you can't have uh, the marketing books. I feel like you can still sort of have yeah. books for, yeah. Even that, even they have second, like I have Anne Hanley's um, second edition of her book mm-hmm. and of her Everyone Writes. Yeah, it grew like it's two books now, the yeah, size. Yeah, yeah, but other than that, it's like marketing. You can, I like to say, terrestrial book, a physical yeah. book. Yeah, technology. You buy a book on Ajax. It's like yeah. What's the point? Like you buy the book by the time Amazon delivers it, which is you know at least in the U.S. is yeah, the next yeah. day. It's out of date. <laughs> it might be more of an indication of when it was that I was developing. I mean, they're still good to have reference. Yeah, yeah and also but, the kind of memories. I think that's a good point about marketing, though, because and we often have that conversation on my podcast. Is that those fundamental things are in books that were 10, 20 years old? Ogilvy's on advertising. Oh. It's like, yeah, yeah. What 70s and or yeah. 80, I think it's the 80. Yeah. I don't know why I want to say 83, but it's old. Yeah. Well, there's still gems in there. Yeah, yeah. I chat with one of my regular guests, Robert Rose, and we're often talking yeah. about um, things from even before that. Madman era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all those all those books behind me. Yeah. yeah. It, it's cool. Yeah. So, so you've done both, mm-hmm. entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. Yeah. What's you like better? Um. Funny, what, what I was saying earlier on um, yeah. it, it, about about the work, I like the work, yeah. right? So yeah. when... Um, Your hand's dirty. Yeah. And so what I don't like about being an entrepreneur or running my own agency is the bits that aren't the work. And I think a lot <laughs> There's of... There's a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that challenge, right? I don't particularly like business development. I don't particularly like all the admin and the... And all that shit that goes with it, right? Some people, some people do, but yeah. What I do like though is it's incredibly rewarding when you do win the work and you see the the invoices being paid finally. (laughs) It comes into your finally. That's (laughs) also the thing. That's that's also something about entrepreneurship is that it's the finally. Yeah, yeah. And all that on an invoice, you're like, why are you paying me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So your credit card. I'll take the hit on the fee. Just pay (laughs) me already. And I'm sure you've got way more stories than I have to share around that stuff, but. And that's the stuff that I find a huge friction. So I really enjoy the work. And of course, when you're advising people and you're creating uh, frameworks and you're talking about it, that, that can be really rewarding as, as you put the p- things together. And I think when you're inside an organization, mm-hmm. it's often harder to make that, put those things in place because you're suddenly yeah. responsible. It's much easier to tell somebody what they should be doing than actually do it, right? So. Yeah, so there's pros and cons to both. And you have to answer to a CEO, whereas before you're the CMO and CEO and the chief bottle washer. Yeah, yeah. So the buck stops with you, or yeah. the, buck, the marketing buck stops with you now, but yeah. the finance and all that other stuff, you've yeah. got to say, hey, CFO, I need X. Yeah. So between the two, what keeps you up at night? Um, if I think what, what probably keeps a lot of senior marketers up at night at the moment <laughs> is the pressure on budget and also famous short tenure that we all have you know and being know, relevant. Really short yeah and, and being being relevant and remaining in that position you you know that i've seen it throughout my career when costs get tight it's often marketing that has to take the first hit right which i don't necessarily agree with because i see it as an investment and you're, it's short-term thinking to do that but certainly i, I would if, if you were to if i was to be broad enough to say what would keep me up at night across all these different yeah. things 
it's yeah. probably that. Oh my god, yeah. Because this way, I think average tenure is eighteen months, which is yeah. like ridiculous. Yeah. Like, give the guy three years. Come on, yeah, give the person yeah. three years at least. Like, yeah, come on yeah. now. 18 months is ridiculous. It's yeah. not even two years. Wait, yeah. no, it's not even two years. Exactly. So here's the question. What is the most important thing to carry with you all the time? The most important thing that I carry with me all the time? Yeah. Um, well, man, that's got to be your phone, isn't it? But if I was to yes. say something non-obvious than my phone or my laptop, it would probably be um, I got one of those uh, electronic remarkable notebook thing oh so, i love that thing i have one right yeah, here yeah, oh my yeah. god so it would but it doesn't have to be remarkable i think it's a notebook because i'm constantly i'm usually doing it on my phone these days so listen to a podcast write down an idea that i might have for a blog post i've got, always got google keep open like with little oh, yeah. notes and stuff so i think it would be a notebook of some kind it doesn't have to be remarkable or anything like that but yeah i would or it could be any one of the pile of red and black books i have down to my left or legal oh my pads God. I've all stacks back there yeah. yeah i think it's probably the most important thing you carry around yeah don't forget to take notes <laughs> they're helpful even, honestly i've noticed that even if you never look at your notes again the mm. act of writing down something yeah i genuinely it, believe in that it's you keep it in your head and it's always back there plus whereas if you didn't write it down it's more you're too passive you're not trying yeah. to get it down i actually i agree with you on that and i think a lot of people say oh i never refer back to my notes I would encourage people to do that because yeah. this Google Keep that I've got of all my blog ideas that I listen yeah. to and I hear on podcasts and stuff, I often go back in there and I think, wow, I've forgotten about that. And that's a really good idea. So mm, I, yeah. I think we should review our notes. But yeah, keeping notes, that's important. That's awesome. So Ian, where can people find you online? Where are you hanging out the most? Uh, mostly LinkedIn these days. So you can find oh, me. Okay. I'm probably the only Ian, the top Ian Truscott, I think. If you, I think if you Google Ian Truscott, there's me and there's this like, Judge dude in London, then you can easily find Judge me. Judge dude, yeah. Or you can find yeah. me on rockstarcmo.com or you can find me at iantruscott.com. Uh, yeah. And just hook me up and let me know that you heard me here if you want to get in touch. Yeah. The picture of him, of course, smiling. <laughs> and at a, it looks like at a conference or something. So he's smiling, which I think I, I very rarely see Ian not smile. So that's a good, he's very jolly. So Ian, thanks so much for being on. I'm glad we finally got you on the program, and thank you again for doing the hundredth episode. Everyone loved that episode. Oh, cool! So no, it's a real pleasure, man. It was really good to get to know you that way. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Okay, that feels a bit weird sharing as I'm usually the one doing the interviewing. But please check out Seth's show. It's called Entrepreneurs Enigma and it's available on the Marketing Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll include links to it and Seth in the show notes. Right, that's quite enough of me. It's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. And whoa, holy Ooh. smokes, it is funky <laughs> in here. It is. This is the smoke and the and the dance lights, and you've got a. I had I had no idea that you even knew about squee music. Um, squee music. Did, 
squee music yes of course i mean I, you know squee music is 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 amazing i mean it's it's an it, it comes out of sweden it's a, or really yeah. you know many of the scandinavian mm-hmm. countries um very instrumental uh like you can hear it As right I this wonderful yeah, sort of yeah, yeah this funky sort of r&b soul like music yeah. that's very modern yeah. mostly instrumental stuff but it's really yeah that's, i'm I've, i'm loving this yeah I've, music I'm, yeah although i might have sound surprised ben i really am aren't because obviously we're down with the pool kids i mean this squee music everybody's asking for it so i just thought hey it's got to be done in the bar right? so, uh, yeah it's i mean you got to bring the squee to the squee yes so that's yeah. fantastic well i hope um I hope I can find some squee, and I hope that squee is a thing, and you're not just winding me up. But yes, <laughs> yeah, it, no squee is definitely a thing, and you will find it. Um, there's not a lot to choose from, but you'll find you'll find some. Um, Excellent. All right. So when this whole squee thing dies down a little, bit, yeah, we, we've we've got a great drink. Have we? We've, let's we've move to a, a quiet drink. part of the bar for that. And let's let's let that squee die down. What's we've we got a little bit of a fancy cocktail oh. uh, this week. So I have been enjoying, so I have been trying to cut back on my coffee intake. Okay. And thought alcohol and, was the answer. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and, and, and primarily because I just was trying to get rid of, you know, or not get rid of, but just lessen uh, the type of sort of uh, spiky caffeine bursts that mm-hmm. coffee typically gives me. And this yeah. is especially true in the afternoon. And so I've been drinking a lot of matcha tea. I don't know if you oh, know yes. or uh, work with, with the matcha tea or yeah, yeah, anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the matcha latte and and, and all of that. And so uh, so I was thinking and, and started looking around and found this lovely matcha-based cocktail um which is just fantastic um it's again very much like last week it's a vodka drink and so we start out with one part vodka uh two parts pineapple juice and that's it's an important thing because as you know matcha is not terribly sweet um so it's it's a little bitter um so you want to sweeten it up and pineapple juice is a perfect uh ability for that a little bit of lime just to add in that citrus um, so we have two parts uh, pineapple. We have maybe a half part of lime juice. You've got a little bit, uh, maybe a quarter teaspoon of your mm-hmm. matcha powder. Um, typically going to be mm-hmm. like eh, half a packet maybe um, or something like that. Then you've got your ice and then your mint. Uh, add a little bit of a sprig for, a, for a, you know, sort of just a decor. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, there you go. That's That becomes your matcha cocktail. So pour all that stuff into a cocktail shaker. This is going to uh-huh. be a shaken, uh, not iced, stirred sort of thing. So you're yes. going to chill that up and add all those ingredients together, the lime, the matcha, the pineapple, the vodka, until it's very well cheer, uh, chilled. Then strain that because you're going to want to strain it a little bit because that yes. matcha powder can tend to not dissolve completely yes. into a rocks glass um, or a martini glass, which is very nice if you want to get fancy with it. Yes. Um, and uh, and you have it, you know, a, a very pretty, very refreshing, um, uh, very nice and sweet matcha cocktail. Sounds lovely. And without any of those dangerous caffeine spikes you might have got from a cup of coffee. Yes, indeed. A nice, <laughs> slow build of the caffeine high. Very nice. All right. Well, I shall attempt to make such a fancy drink with only the ingredients on my desktop bar. So um, I don't have my shaker on the desktop bar, so I'm just going to stick some ice into and glass. And I shall select, as I did last week, the most English of vodkas, which is, of course, Hendrix Gin. 
and I shall pour some of that into this lovely glass. And, um, oh, we've got pineapple, lime juice, the matcha powder, mint. And so I telephoned those lovely people over at Fever Tree and said, what would be the most best thing I could do if I had all those ingredients? They said, cucumber tonic water, my man. So I said, uh, oh, thank you very much. And so I thought I'd stick some cucumber. Because we all know that the most English of pineapples is, of course, the cucumber. And uh, so we'll stick that in there. Lovely. Um, I'd much rather one of these and a cup of coffee as well, mate. Honestly, mid-afternoon gin and tonic. Who doesn't want one of those? Sorry, mid-afternoon Indeed. Um, um, fancy cocktail drink. I, I gave it away. Mm. That is delicious, Robert. What are we calling these? Uh, well, that would just be a matcha cocktail. Lovely. It's not what you're drinking, of course. But yes, <laughs> generally speaking, that would be a matcha cocktail. I could drink one of these every week. And where are we drinking these this week, mate? You know, I think we'll stick. Um, you know, we we were in Ibiza last week, we um, and that was lovely. But I think we're just going to uh, stick with the beach. Yes. Um, and because it's a very Californian thing, this matcha latte, matcha cocktail, it feels like we should be somewhere in Southern California, maybe down in San Diego. Oh. And when I say San Diego, so San Diego, if you go just south of San Diego, right before you get to the Mexican border, yeah. um, there's some lovely, lovely, lovely beaches down there that are sort of off the beaten path. And, um, and there's not a lot of city. There's not a lot of towns. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a little it's a little weird. It's a little funky mm-hmm. down there, and this drink is a little funky mm-hmm. to go with that. And it goes funky with our squee music. Um, <laughs> and it's all about uh, it's all about the beach barbecues. And what I mean by that is is that this is a place you can go uh-huh. just south of San Diego where they have people who will cook out mm-hmm. over these sort of makeshift grills and they make the best fish tacos that you've ever eaten in your entire life. Oh, um, and they make them right there mm. over a makeshift barbecue and you can go buy them for like a couple of bucks and we'll, so we'll eat some fish tacos, drink some matcha cocktails and sit on the beach. I love it. And, um, not only are we drinking well, we're eating well by the sounds of things. It sounds, oh, sounds indeed. marvelous, yes. I forgot to mention last week, because I mentioned having COVID last week, that the reason why we our virtual bar and our transportation away was because this was formed from a COVID, uh, COVID um, podcast. So, yes. So just to explain why we go virtually somewhere every week. But this is lovely. And so we're sipping these lovely drinks and we're enjoying the beach when the conversation turns to marketing as it inevitably does with us what are we talking about this week we're going to talk about how marketers ruin everything well they um, fucking do yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but there's something that's coming up and it has it has to do with ai that's just got me a little mm-hmm. uh, got me a little <laughs> worried i guess is the right word uh-huh. um concerned and a little different than some of the concerns that we've seen before with AI. So, um, by the way, the marketers ruin everything uh, seems to have come. I wanted to look that up, and it seems to have come from Gary Vaynerchuk back in 2013. Oh, really? Um, oh. Which is interesting. <laughs> some may call it ironic, but yeah. anyway, it's 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 him that said it, and so I want to give credit to to, to Gary for for uh, for for saying it. Um, for stating the bleeding obvious, I mean, it's not it's not hard, yeah. it's hard, not hard so to know the things that ruin everything. It's not. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that we've seen over the last twenty years mm-hmm. is the rise of uh, programmatic advertising. Yes. Right. Um, uh, I think it's been a scourge. Uh, on the uh, marketing and advertising practice. Uh, I hated it ever since it 
emerged. Of course, you know, the, the origins of programmatic, of course, come from search marketing, from Google search ads. And, you know, basically you search and then you contextually get advertising based on your, the content of your, of your search. And, but it has since, of course, ex, you know, conflated in huge ways to cover basically everything from automated, you know, Dutch auctions where mm. you, you know, bid on advertising in marketplaces or ad places that you, you have no idea where your ad is being mm. served, um, across networks of publishers, across networks of sites that are using, uh, these marketplaces. And so in so many ways, it's really, uh, lost a lot of the luster of what the art and science of media buying was really all about. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's a data-driven, Excel spreadsheet-driven <laughs> uh, sort of arbitrage of, of data that determines where your creative is going to appear next to content. And of course, we've seen that hilariously, in most cases, um, end up with some big marketing fails. And I don't you know, need to belabor them, but you've seen them all, right? Where, you know, the cruise vacation ad is being placed next to the article about the ship that sank, right? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. you know, there's a classic one that's out there on the internet where there's a coupon for dinner for two at Olive Garden um, <laughs> in, embedded into a, an article about uh, how many people got sick at a particular Olive mm -hmm. Garden. So, these hilarious sort of ad placements, it's not if, but when your ad is actually going to appear next to yes. very either unsafe content, unwanted content, inappropriate content, or just basically be, you know, in, in some ways unoptimized. And yeah. the sort of quintessential example of that is uh, what happened and didn't get covered very much at all, really. But, you know, there was a story that came out a couple of years ago about how Gannett, and of course, Gannett, the publisher of USA Today and mm -hmm. uh, a number of other local newspapers, they serve billions of local ads, you know, so out across all their local newspapers across the United States in a completely erroneous way based on programmatic advertising. Mm -hmm. So people in New Mexico were getting ads for companies in Michigan and <laughs> people in Michigan were getting ads for companies in Philadelphia and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. And that's not a glitch in the algorithm. That's just human error looking, you know, not paying attention to what's going on here. And it took them years to find it. Not, mm. not, you know, it, nine months it, it was serving up ads before they actually found it a year and a half later. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, it's crazy. Now, what what does that have to do with AI and what does it have to do with where we are? Well, there was a report that came out uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, um, from uh, a company called NewsGuard. And they basically rate the credibility of news websites. Yeah. And they're starting to see that through programmatic advertising, the new growth of AI-generated news websites, uh, which they're completely unmanned. Yeah. Like, in other words, there's no one at the wheel mm -hmm. of steering these news websites. It's literally just AI engines yeah. building content and building these websites dynamically based on uh, assumably prompts or some sort of mm -hmm. search or something like that. But it's building these websites, and they're starting to even have a name. They're called UAINs, or Unreliable Artificial Intelligence Generated News Sites. <laughs> they went from 50 last year. Um, in one month to more than 217 sites that they've identified. And so basically what they've said is, is that there are millions and millions of dollars of advertising being served on these, at these websites 
um, that are unintentional, of course, yeah. um, from blue chip brands, right? From big, you know, they, they, they actually talk about there's a big car company and there's a big bank um, that are serving up all of these things. And that's disturbing. And, you know, I can add it to the pile of stuff about programmatic advertising that is just really not good. The more important thing that I want to say is that what it's interesting to me is that we have to realize that this is coming for us as well as content and marketing practitioners that aren't advertising. In other words, that AI generated blog, that AI generated content hub about your industry, the AI generated FAQ about your level of products and services, they're coming, mm -hmm. they're going to be coming and they're going to be competing for our search traffic and if we, if we marketers thought all those, you know, fake review sites that are generated by marketers <laughs> to provide some sort of quote unquote review of your products, right. And yeah. their product just happens to be ranked number one. Yeah. If those were troubling, just wait for the automated AI explainers yeah. that are going to completely misinform your customers about what your yeah. product or service does. Yeah. And so it's just a great reminder that marketers ruin everything. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, in the very first time when I was playing with chat GPT, and I think I was sharing the experience with you and pretty much built out a pretty dull, <clears throat> but compelling enough um, set of content, which would have made a great sort of marketing advisory type blog um it's kind of website right and it would have taken you just a few hours just to throw up something that would compete in terms of eyeballs and traffic with something more legitimate right it's not hard to do that and you'll get and, and this is the this is the tsunami of content we're gonna have to fight through whether you're a advertiser or whether you're a thought leader right yeah. 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 Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. It and and this you know so our time is short, right? Yeah. And so it's one of those things where if we're not busy now yeah. creating this standard, I mean, and, and, you know, I wrote a little bit about this and, and you know, it, it feeds into this misinformation, right? That social and especially AI is, is playing right now because increasingly the AI learning models and as that starts to replace search are going to be looking at our corpus of content as the standard bearer, right? Mm. Just, I mean, and we talked about this, eh, it was two or three shows ago mm. where, um, I think we did anyway, where we talked about the idea that, you know, I actually did an experiment where I, I went out and asked ChatGPT, like who the inventor of the jobs to be done framework is. Yeah. And it identified Clayton Christensen as the inventor of the jobs to be done framework. Yeah. And of course, that's not untrue, but it's also not right. Yeah. It's also not correct, right? It's actually a guy by the name of Anthony Olwick mm. who developed a thing and showed it to Creighton Christensen who made it popular in his book Innovator's Dilemma and and so the AI engine was wrong but it's it's wrong because it basically is going out and seeing what the pattern is out there yeah. and the pattern is most people sort of you know put the words yeah. invented jobs to be done <laughs> framework and Clayton Christensen together so yeah. it just makes an assumption yeah. that that's who originated it yeah and so it's not who popularized it, it's who originated it. And so getting the standards right and the details right from our thought leadership and our what we're setting out for our industry, for our products, for our services, is going to be such an important thing for us to do in a very structured way so that AI ultimately sees our answer as the right answer. Yeah, It's funny. I mean, 
I was researching for an article the other day and I, I genuinely found like five articles that it was an article about WhatsApp and it's clear that like this article had been seeded probably by WhatsApp and on various different publications publishing the same thing and it had some stats on it that were un were unqualified and so you try and find where did that stat come from who said that and you're you're a dozen websites deep before you find it's a dead end right and you, yeah, you've, that's I mean, exactly. we all yeah. we all do this, right? And it, and and then um, and you're like, oh fuck, I can't use that stack because it's actually from 1998 and it's about something else. Um, but the Chat GPT doesn't have that, does it? That discernment. So I think you were talking about this. Was it last week? We no, it was the week before. Where it's truths become no facts become no truths become facts become truths kind of thing. It just right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know, and it's and it's also, and I was just talking about this on another podcast with Andy Crestadina, yeah. um, where we were talking about the differences in search. I mean, one of the things that we learned, I learned early, early on. This goes back to our, you know, where you and I actually first met, you know, during <laughs> the content management yeah. and uh, web content management days. When you remember when site search was oh, a big God, thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And there were people inventing site search products. Yeah. And the key was understanding that the paradigm of a web search, and this is why Google, Google's sort of uh, uh, appliance never really took off, yeah. um, is because there's a difference between web search, which is trying to expand and uh, maximize mm. the amount of choice mm. that you have in mm. terms of what it returns. Yeah versus a site search or a corporate intranet search, which the paradigm is you want to minimize yeah. the number of yeah. things that you have to actually go through because you're just looking for a singular answer. Yeah. And so there's a really big difference in that. And that's what the difference really is when we start talking about AI yeah. is that the paradigm is right or wrong. We're going to be depending on an AI-based search not to give us and maximize the amount of mm -hmm. uh, options that we have or tell us what we didn't search for that yeah. we should have searched for. Yeah. It's rather going to be, tell me the answer to the, an the, the, to the query that I've put into the search box and yeah. tell me what it is because that's what I'm, my expectation is. Yeah. No, oh, we could go down this rabbit hole because it's the same with voice as well. It's the same with voice search too. It can't give you that plethora of responses, right? Can it, really, we're just looking for one answer. So I love this, but we, we kind of wandered off a bit because we were starting to talk about programmatic advertising, but you're absolutely right. These AI engines are going to be able to, we as marketers that ruin everything are going to start springing up all sorts of content so that we can both leverage this programmatic advertising and and out i mean now you now outgunning your competitor on content is no no it's so easy right so it's going to be it's going to be tough, tough. Yeah. all right so where where can people find only the finest handcrafted content not touched by ai uh on this very topic robert well, you can find it on our non-AI generated <laughs> um, content website, which of course is contentadvisory.net. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's where we're putting all of our stuff I these days. It. And how's Experience Advisors? We haven't plugged that for a bit. Uh, you know, there you go. It's it, We have moved over to Substack. Mm -hmm. So it's even easier yes. to become a subscriber to Experience Advisors where we're leveraging both Substack from the email perspective mm -hmm. as well as from its ability to chat and comment and create discussions on such things. 
Um, so you can do that at experienceadvisors.io. Splendid. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? They'll uh, they'll find me on LinkedIn primarily these days, but also now Threads. Um, I am at Robert Rose on Threads and would love to connect with each and everyone there. Yeah, I noticed that on, on Threads you were able to drop the underscore. <laughs> I, yeah, well, let's see. I've had the Instagram handle for a yeah. million years. Yeah, Sweet. so... All right, I actually, that was one of the few that I actually secured <laughs> early on. <laughs> All right, mate, which well, is another reason that I like threads. Yeah. <laughs> well, aside from seeing you on threads and LinkedIn, um, will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it, my friend. I'll see you then. We. <laughs> <laughs> and the surprising bit of squee there at the beginning was Beam with Mouth Everest so that's a wrap on episode 176 of the Rockstar CMO effing marketing podcast thanks to Seth and Robert for their help and you can find all the links to them me and the things I mentioned in the show notes along with our blog newsletter and all of our previous episodes on rockstarcmo.com and thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think via the socials, drop us a rating or review in your podcast app, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is still away, so doing something a bit different again with a previous guest, Keith Smith, the host of the Fuel podcast. He has some amazing guests from Agency Land on his podcast, so I thought I'd pick his brain on what he's learned. Until then, have a great week and I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is conversations with people promoting mental health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net. Or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.